Welcome everybody to the Not A Rabbi podcast, the podcast where I do not have a witty line for this tag today, so I apologize for that. A little bit low energy, been doing a lot of driving today, Uh, had to go up and help my mother a little bit, so I do apologize if I'm a bit off. Um, but I had to had to do those things, and I hope everyone is doing well. Thank you once again to the fine moderators and owners of the Fifth Column unofficial Discord channel, where we are hosting this once again. If you would like to join in the fun, you can find a link on the notarabbi.pod, notarabbipod.com website, and you can go ahead and... Uh, join us and join the fun in the lounge where we are right now for the broadcast and the high-minded conversations that we generally have on the discord channel as well Um, so getting into it right away uh, we've got an interesting program for you today Uh, i've got a couple of links that i'm gonna like to talk about Uh, i've got believe it or not some listener follow-up and I have an update about listener follow-up as well, which I'd like to actually get right into right away. And the question that was asked, and also, obviously, um, I am back from, as you can tell, I am back from my Passover vacation and and the Passover holiday where it was uh, two Sundays, and so therefore we didn't have a podcast last week. So thank you everybody for joining us once again. And the question is that I have from a listener is, what is the significance of matzah on Passover? And the significance of matzah on Passover is, as I knock my laptop over, is um, very, very simple. And there's, it's, uh, there are two reasons for it. One reason, as we explain in the book that we use for uh, for the Passover Seder, which is called the Haggadah, and what we do is, uh, we, in one of the the first one of the first paragraphs that we are use we say over there, is that this is the blood of bread of a affliction, which uh, the Jews used and ate in Egypt when during slavery. Um, so there is that portion of it, and then there is. Later on in the Haggadah, there is almost at the end of the when we're telling the story of leaving Egypt, we talk about how this the matzah. What was the matzah for? The matzah was used for, or used because the Jews left Egypt. They didn't have time. They had to leave quickly. They did not have time for the bread for their bread to rise, and therefore we eat this we have this matzah as well so an interesting question which i saw uh this 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 year was it seems to be a like which one is it is it a bread of affliction or is it a bread of freedom which which one is it and and so uh there's a lot of interesting questions to that i will uh leave the question uh hanging for you to try to uh, maybe come up with an answer. We'll get some uh, listener feedback on that about what the answer might be. It's an interesting question, though. 
Um, I saw an answer from Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory, and it was a very, I, I, of course, I forgot the answer at this point. I'll have to look it up also, which is part of the reason why I'm not uh, giving you the answer. Uh, but it is a very interesting, uh, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy. Actually, I think I mentioned it to the individual as well because it was in the forefront of my mind, but since Passover is now fully in the rearview mirror, I, I did forget what the, uh, what the answer is, so I, I apologize for that. I'll uh, get back to you on that, though. Um, but if you would like to, and what's, there was a follow-up question. Um, yes, another question with that is Passover eating restrictions. Well, that's an interesting question because, uh, as always, it'll, a lot of times with Passover, it depends on who you ask. So let's, let's start with the basics and try to then branch out a little bit. The basics are you are not allowed to eat any leavened products so any bread buns uh, anything like that aside uh, or use any flour because we are afraid that that will uh, get get leavened if you uh, if you know so we don't use anything like that as well that is the basic uh, rule now this divides up into two different, I guess, categories of Jews, which are the Ashkenazim, which generally have a Eastern, Western European background. So we're talking about uh, Jews from France, Germany, anywhere uh, to the East. Poland and the like. And then we have the Sephardic Jews, and they are basically from southern Italy, uh, southern southern Europe, so talking about Spain, Portugal maybe, uh, and North Africa, and the majority or and or the Middle East. And so we have a lot of, you know, so there are some some major differences there. And the major difference is with regard to eating legumes, uh, rice, and other things along those lines. Specifically, rice is one of the things that uh, that get in. And one of the things that uh, they will do is they will eat rice and other starchy-ish, more starchy-ish products because that was not ever in the uh, in the prohibition. Now. Uh, the Ashkenazic Jews, on the other hand, have put a more of a stringency on themselves, I would say, which is still followed until this day, and that is that they go ahead and do not eat rice or any sort of um, starchy-looking product. I guess you could say, for lack of a f flourish looking product, I guess you could say, uh, so that is that that is uh you know those are the major restrictions uh other people now in the ashkenazic community other people will uh, then we could go further and down the tree and have a subdivision of people who will eat the matzah um you know use the matzah as as an ingredient such as you you know finely finely 
finely grinding it up, making it a matzo meal, and going ahead and uh, using that in dishes, or going ahead and um, you know putting ma you know matzo and butter, matzo and um, almond butter because peanut butter peanuts are legumes that we don't we uh, the uh, those of Ashkenazic uh, descent do not use those and and other uh, and and the like. So you have that little bit of a tree that breaks out, and you could you know and other people have customs not to uh, you. Uh, more of a Hasidic custom. A Hasidic custom is not to go ahead and use anything pre-processed or at the least amount of pre-processed goods that you can on Passover as well to ensure that nothing is not kosher, you know, that, that is not leavened. Uh, so that would include some things such as not using any types of oil, uh, using only chicken fat, uh, which is called schmaltz. You may have heard that uh, that term, uh, <clears throat> and that's in Yiddish. Uh, the schmaltz is a term in Yiddish. And then we also have the uh, the um, you know making your own mayonnaise, making you know just really, really, uh, really tough. <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's tough. Uh, having having used to have done done that, I know how tough it is. It's it's very very difficult. Um, so there you have it, and those are just customs, really. Um, and the real delineation, I would say, is between the Sephardic and the Ashkenazic. Once again, where the Sephardic will go ahead and they will eat legumes or rice, and uh, and go ahead with that. Now they just can't pick out rice, uh, you know, from Uncle Ben's and go ahead with it. It has to be checked to make sure that there is nothing. Uh, an interesting debate that has come up recent in the recent years. Uh, is the issue of quinoa, and should quinoa be included in this or not? And um, you know, I believe that it's okay. Uh, it used to, it was being sold. I know it, uh, the um, some rabbinic organizations have said it shouldn't be used. Uh, some rabbinic organizations have said that it should be used. It can be used. Um, so there you have it. Those are some of the eating restrictions on Passover. So thank you all for your feedback on those questions. I definitely appreciate it. And with that, if you do have any questions and you do not uh, know how to get hold of me just yet, let me tell you two ways that you could get a hold of me. One of them is with the email address questions at notarabbipod.com. And you can reach me that way, or you can use the form on the Not A Rabbi Pod website, and that will go to me as well. You could feel free to ask me your questions or anything along those lines that you would like to uh, to know about. So there we there we have the listener feedback, which is really nice to have. I got to tell you, it's 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 nice to have the listener feedback. But let's get to some news links here, uh, shall we? And because um, there has been some fun and interesting stuff that has developed over the last couple of weeks. Um, one thing uh, that was brought up to me that I should t maybe talk about, and I'm not going to talk about it, is the uh, anti-Semitic Twitter, Twitter drama that has gone on in young, uh, young adult 
authors and followers and all of that. Um, there has been some of that. It uh, it did reach the uh, it reached our Judaism as well um, in that subreddit. I, I to be honest, I just don't have the time of day for young adult author Twitter dramas. Um, don't think I really ever have. So, <laughs> um, and I'm sure they'll be canceling somebody at some point in time. So uh, let's see here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and some feedback going ahead and uh, saying they should just retitle this podcast <laughs> Dash Trolls Aaron. Um, yeah, possibly. <laughs> that would be an interesting title, but I don't mind actually the, the links. I enjoy them, so I, I like getting them, and they are funny. And sometimes I do talk about them, such as with the Young Pharaoh uh, stuff I did talk about. But uh, the stuff I just... I, I just I don't have the energy. I'm, I'm so low energy today anyway as it is that I just don't feel like talking about it really. Um, but let's get on to something that's actually rather interesting. And we're going to, I'm going to try to, I did this, I'm going to try to do this in chronological order for when I post, when I put these links into my show notes. And New York Times had a story <clears throat> about a young man by the name of Ellie Kligman and who would like to be on or in play Major League Baseball. Now, having played Little League Baseball myself, um, and, I mean, you know, which kid didn't have a dream of playing Major League Baseball? I I don't know of any. Um, so this is an individual who is in Las Vegas right now. He is Shabbos observant. He keeps Shabbos. He will not play any ball and on on um, any ball on from Friday night through through Saturday night, right from sundown to sundown, pretty much. Uh, he, you know, apparently does have the ability. He seems to be a power hitter. He seems to be a star in a high school in Las Vegas, like I had mentioned. And he is just, um, he has already said, uh, even if he signed a contract right now for $10 million, uh, with a $10 million signing bonus, and he would be playing in front of 40,000 people, he would not, if he would, he would not play on Shabbos. And so this is a really nice... This is a really nice article um, because it is, it's, uh, you know, it, it, he declares his Shabbos observance, he declares his religious observance, and he just said that he is not going to go ahead uh, and play on Shabbos. And so, I mean, it's going to be interesting to watch to see if his career develops in any way. Um, it's, it's an interesting situation. I'll, I'll, I'll mention it that, um, <clears throat> my brother-in-law has a friend, ha is a very, very close friend. My sister's husband has a very, very close friend and his son played on the, uh, a travel basketball team of 
the travel bas- a travel basketball team in Northern California, and they were in some. I'm going to say it was in Oklahoma, although I, my memory might be wrong. And this is, uh, you know, basically, he, you know, he was he, he was teammates with you know, probably the majority African-American children. And he, uh, you know, he would walk on Shabbos to play the game. Now, can you play the game on Shabbos to begin with? If you don't do any of, you know, do these things, it's questionable. He got a, you know, his, he's, I'm sure he asked his rabbi and his rabbi allowed him. And they, he, my brother-in-law's friend's son used to, and my brother-in-law's friend used to walk from wherever the hotel was that they were staying in to the to the arena to play the basketball game on Shabbos. And the coach heard about this or heard about this issue that might be happening and he went ahead and he had the entire team walk with them in an act of solidarity, which is something that is very, very, very touching and very nice. And I am sure I got the story not totally correct. So uh, my brother-in-law, Rabbi Garfinkel, if you are listening, uh, feel free to correct me on this. Um, And if you guys are interested, like I mentioned last time, feel free to sign up for my brother-in-law's podcast Monday Motivation which is which is really nice as well anyhow um so the dash brings up a uh, in the in the in the feed or in the comments brings up that this is based on uh, or not based on but there is a case about this that uh, and dash correct me if I'm wrong this went to supreme court um, where it is Transworld Airlines versus Hardison, and basically, yes, it is a civil, it is a Supreme Court case uh, that the Supreme Court. I'm just reading quickly off of a uh, off of a search that I did. The Supreme Court interpreted the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, setting limits to the accommodations that private employers were required to make on behalf of employees whose religious views limited their work on Shabbos. And I got a thumb up from Dash, so that always makes me feel good. Uh, So anyhow, so this is actually, I'd be interested in in talking to um, Dash about about this case because i would like to know more about this but uh maybe we could do that as a uh on another episode because this looks interesting and i'm going to have to probably go ahead and uh save this right now because i am going to forget otherwise and of course, Reason Magazine has a has a if, um, actually it's the Volk conspiracy. It's not Reason, uh, not from Reason.com itself. All right. So anyway, so um, that was a very nice story. It's a very touching story. Very nice story. I I like it a lot. Uh, if you get a chance to read it, you should certainly do. I'm going to provide a link for you to the uh, to the New York Times article. Um, just out of curiosity, Dash, would you be interested in talking about these topics from a legal standpoint at uh, some point on the live on the podcast? Just let me know in the me- 
Okay, cool. Uh, let's try to figure that out then, and we can um, we could do that because I would like to. It's, it sounds like an interesting topic on the First Amendment issues, and uh, that kind of leads into what I'm going to be what I'd like to be talking about today, with regard to some First Amendment issues um, with education. So maybe maybe we could you know do uh, you know education three. Um, you know, because this is going to be Education 2 Electric Boogaloo, but maybe we could do with that, uh, an Education 3 and I could have some somewhat intelligent topics or questions to ask you uh, as my job as host. All right, so anyhow, um, but I like that. Okay, so that was a good article. That was a nice, warm-feeling article. Uh, so that was, I, I, was I, I really enjoyed reading that article. Um, next case is from BuzzFeed, everybody's favorite news news purveyor and buzzfeed is now no longer going to be using the hat the hyphen in anti-semitism they are getting rid of the hyphen it is going to be all one word and um so basically they believe that um this is going to cut ties with the with a pseudoscientific racial classification if they just did that um and apparently you are not, you should not be using the hyphen they actually call it a dash but out of respect for my listener i will not do that um so anyway it is one way of doing that um the ihra which is the international Holocaust Remembrance Alliance um, says that hyphenating the spelling legitimizes the f a form of pseudoscientific racial classification that was thoroughly discredited by association with Nazi ideology. All right, so we are, you know, so whenever you want to use the term anti-Semite, make sure that you do not use the hyphen. So, um there you go just a little piece of information there in case everybody was wondering about that which i am sure that everyone was <laughs> yes buzzfeed buzzfeed is the epitome of brave i would say um i i totally agree with the comments there it is totally the epitome of brave as always on the forefront of justice um Next, what do we got next? Okay, next is the... How many places... Let's throw this out there. How many places do you think that Judaism is not recognized as a religion? How many countries do you think that is? Would you think that Iceland would be one of those countries that Judaism would not be recognized as a religion? Well, if you thought that, then uh, I forgot what the way I posed the question, but now that was the case. Judaism, Judaism was not recognized as a religion in, in Iceland until now. They just got recognized as a religion. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to do, but now since there are more than 300 Jews living in Iceland, which is probably, I think, about... Um, 
which I think is probably about half of the population of Iceland. Um, they are now they are now doing this. I don't know exactly what this means uh, for the Jews in Iceland on a legal basis. Um, I somehow, for some reason, I am not up to date on Icelandic law, so I can't tell you. But again, another little feel-good story uh, that that you know this was a campaign done by Rabbi Avi Feldman, who uh, who came there in 2018 to gain formal approval of Jewish existence in in uh, in Iceland. So there you go, go figure learn some t-i-l i think the kids say so there we go you could just who knew who knew that iceland did not recognize jews uh or judaism as a official religion now finally we're going to talk about something and again i think some of the legal eagles here may have something to say about this it's an interesting case which is from believe it or not it's from the washington free beacon um and uh, you know this is going to actually a little bit tie into to the main topic that i want to talk about today and that which is education because a lot of jews here in new york and in brooklyn specifically have been making their livelihood from being an amazon seller and they um yeah they've been they've been an amazon seller now recently amazon who is a private business and they are really allowed to do what they want with their agreements um you know but they basically made a rule that uh, for customer experience, uh, build as improving customer experience, have made acceptable performance metrics harder harder to achieve. Uh, they Free Beacon did report about this last year. I remember reading about it there, but basically, um, it would make it very difficult for Orthodox Jews to have a very high one-day shipping number for for these people because if the uh, for amazon because if these people order on shabbos they are not going to be able to per fulfill that order on shabbos for that day one sort of uh sort of experience that we all like from amazon and get from amazon um and so this is going to go ahead and um especially for people that uh take place of amazon prime and you know since many carriers will not pick up the packages on sunday these you know the, these places are out of luck um you know there's been a couple of responses and uh let's see here one person says he is not going to be selling expensive items on prime anymore in response because you know he just is not going to be able to keep those metrics up um and again, I think that this is from based on consumer demand. I think that this is, I think that this is, um, you know, it's unfortunate. I'll say that. <laughs> I 
<laughs> yes, yes, it does sound well. There's actually a big problem with that. I, I maybe we should talk have that as another topic um, on the podcast, which is the entire concept of a Shabbos goy and what is allowed, what is not allowed. Uh, that's an interesting because uh, there's a comment in the uh, in the in the live feed here where it sounds like it's a, there is a market for an Amazon Prime Shabbos goy packing service. Um, so I, I have some thoughts about that uh but it's uh it, it could be an actually spin that out as another topic i i like the idea um please remind me you know who you are please remind me to talk about that or put that onto my list of uh episode ideas because i do want to i think that'd be an interesting idea to talk about um because the concept is the because the concept is known about but what isn't known is the depth that needs to be gone to in order for that to be done and how that actually works so i really would like to um i I would really like to talk about that i think it's an interesting topic so um anyhow this might be forcing some people to leave this leave this uh, program that amazon has which has really made a lot of you know had a lot of people's livelihoods tied up to it uh like i said i think amazon is a <laughs> i didn't say the standards for the shabbos goy are high uh somebody has just commented if uh, michael c moynihan could be a shabbos goy then the standards are not too high the standards are not too high it's just what the requirements are for it so it's it's a little bit of a different problem <laughs> think i'd agree with you though if my if, Mo- if michael c moynihan could be a shabbos goy and he was check episode uh season one episode one bag of measles cookies for that i'll put that up in the show notes as well for everybody who hasn't listened to it yet um you just listen to it for that story really because the story is hilarious um and so anyhow um yeah so that's that's that um so anyway yeah the they you know they are taking um you know amazon they the 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 a lot of the orthodox jewish sellers have asked amazon to allow them to toggle the prime designation off during the weekend but amazon has announced as it has resisted and it will suspend accounts from the program that regularly turn off prime uh so anyway um you know I'll, i'll tell you this as somebody who has used to be an amazon um affiliate and i used to make some good amazon dollars from being an amazon affiliate which um which allowed me to buy things on amazon when i was less employed than i'm than i currently am thank god i am you know pretty busily employed at this point in time in my life um but they basically just shut it down without questions no appeals no questions this is how amazon does their business with with regard to other people so i mean and and it stinks for these people who are making a livelihood in this way um it is uh it is it is a shame um i will mention again this these all these links will be in the show notes um and i will mention here uh that the last the next to last paragraph 
In the article, it says, some Orthodox sellers are considering a religious workaround that would involve selling a portion of their business to a non-Jew who can work on Saturdays. Sort of to make that point of which um, the commenter in the live stream just did. Um, but it would be a radical and probably illicit step, says a rabbi um, of a halacha center whom I don't know personally, but I do read a lot of their stuff. And um, that is something that is, uh, is you know, is going to be something that's going to have to be looked at. Pardon me. And I think that's an interesting segue into the main topic that I want to talk about today, which is the topic of education in Jewish schools, because a lot of the reason that these people have become Amazon sellers is that, and I, I'm going to be casting a very, very wide net right now, and I know that going in, so... Um, you know, these are, you know, as I like to say, all generalizations are false. Nothing is, um, you know, 100% on anything. So, but I would assume, considering the demographics, I would assume that a lot of these people have gone to mostly Hasidic yeshivas. Uh, or Hasidic yeshiva is basically, you could just basically call it a Jewish parochial school. Um, and they go ahead and they do not, in those some of those Hasidic schools, they do not get a decent general studies education. And that is where, um, and so they need to do this for a livelihood. Um, you know, they maybe they dream of being as big as B&H, B&H Photo, who is one of the huge camera and electronic stores here in New York. They sell worldwide. You may have bought, from G, bought something from B&H at one point in time, but one thing that you will notice is that I believe they do not allow any orders to be processed on Saturdays, nor do they allow any orders to be processed during a, pa a holiday such as Passover, or uh, the one that's coming up uh, in six, five, six weeks at this point in time, Shavuot, the Pentecostal holiday. Uh, so there are, you know, there's a lot that is, uh, you know, in, it, there's a lot that's involved in that. And I think that the reason that they are trying to do this is because they don't have the education. And, you know, that brings us to the question of, in a private school, when is, when is it okay for the, for the Department of Education, the State Department of Education, and this, you know, mostly in this case here in New York State, um, when is it okay for them to get involved and say, you need to be teaching X amount of hours? Um, you know, so it, it's, it's interesting. And if you take a look, and this will be also in the show notes, uh, there was recently a video done by a, by somebody, uh, by two people that were actually in the video um, and it was titled my son's yeshiva is breaking the law and they 
um, they are complaining about how they are not giving enough general studies time for the courses uh, or for the students to understand and do things. Now, there is a lot going on with this and a lot to unpack um, in this topic because there's the sociological aspect of it, there's the practical aspect of it, and and there's the overall mindset of some of the individuals here. Um, but, but this really c came to the forefront couples of couple of years ago uh, from an individual name by the name of Naftali Moser who uh, went ahead and formed an organization telling you know f trying to force the schools to have better better English there was a survey not a survey but a um, the New York State I guess you could say surveyed these some of these schools and it's you know unfortunately some of the I, I, I don't remember what the number is off the top of my head at this point but it was a very f small number of schools that actually had these issues now what's happening is that like I said this is some social sociological issues uh, as well because if I'm not mistaken the the woman who is who both of the individuals who are in this uh, in this video are really no longer members of the uh, Hasidic sects that they that they um, who their sons go to these yeshivas and so that there is a you know so they're just trying they they have an axe to grind or you know yeah, they have an axe to grind with with the school, and because they don't like, they no longer are part of being that type of Hasidic Jew that they once were, and so therefore they're going ahead and go, taking this to the uh, to the New York Times. So, again, it, it's it's interesting issues, and um, you know, I, as many of you know, and if you don't, I'll tell you, and if you heard this before deal with it but you know I do teach in uh, a Jewish day school in the mornings I teach in a a very very right-wing I don't want to say very very but it's a very right-wing um, school in the high school in the afternoons um, and we you know in the specifically speaking in the in the high school in the afternoons we work very hard to make sure that the students get the best education that they possibly can from general studies so that they can do th so that they can be prepared to be a member of society in any way shape or form that they see fit but to be well spoken to know how to write properly know some history uh, know how to do math and the like and I would say that are there issues there probably there probably are issues with this uh, education situation, and um, it's it's uh, like I said. I think that there are, and I said this in my first episode in season one, where we did this, and that's why this is episode education episode two, Electric Boogaloo, um, where I am, you know, I think that there are some still First Amendment issues that are that could possibly be here by telling them you know by telling them this now i don't know and again i'm not a i am not a, not nor, 
I am not a rat. Not only am I not a rabbi, but I am not a lawyer. And so um, I need to get a fancy lawyer with his three-piece suit on to talk about this. And we'll, we'll, definitely, uh, we'll definitely do that uh, once we can arri- arrange some time to do that properly. But this is this is a very big issue, um, and I think it's if I'm not mistaken, I think this is mostly at the elementary level, where they are not uh, doing this properly, and I mean unfortunately it trickles up because if it's not in the elementary level, it's certainly not in the high school level, and you know they you know there are certain you know, I, I don't have very high standards to begin with, with for myself. No, just kidding. Um, but there are certain standards that you need to know what to do. Um, you know, uh, and, and with specifically with, with how to speak and how to write properly is a very big one. Um, and so I, I do get concerned by this to a degree. I would like them to focus on, you know, I, I, I don't want to, tell anybody how to do things um you know but I, I could definitely see if a school did not take any federal or state money then that would be less of a problem um and again this would be a question probably for lawyers to answer uh for that and uh you know, I am not a lawyer, and once again, I am not a rabbi either. So we can we could go about that. <clears throat> you know, and I don't know if there are any. You know, there's obviously homeschooling is an option. Uh, if they wanted to do homeschooling, if the, if if they if they felt that the you know, in, in addition, if this was an issue, if they if this was an issue, people could always change schools. It is a private school; they can always change schools. They are not married specifically to that school um, as much as the school would like to see that they're probably not and they could change their uh, if it's a Hasidic school and they want to send their children to a Hasidic school there are probably non-denominal Hasidic schools <coughs> um, and so it is uh, it is something that they could do as well on that uh, question in the chat here is do we have national standards of education that carry the force of law in the United States? Uh, again, I am not a lawyer, but to the best of my knowledge, we do not. I believe that is hand, that is something that is handled on the state level, um, but we don't have any. Uh, we don't have any at all. Okay, so you know, but it, it's an interesting question. How far do you need to go? Uh, to do that, um, we had this type of issue as well, probably with regard to, actually not with, but we did have this issue to a degree with uh, the vaccination issue and uh, measles outbreak that we had, which again, um, there was an episode for that, the <coughs> the uh, bag of measles cookies episode, which was season one, episode one. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that is that. Um, okay, so I think that's going to pretty much, if it, unless there are any questions from from the chat with regard to anything that we've discussed today, and there's a comment here, <coughs> let me finish getting that drink down, there's a comment here for disability accommodations and things like Title I schools, but that has nothing to do with eligibility for funding. No, it does not. Um, it does not. I, I do know that schools get some 
will use Title I funding, I don't, and hopefully they use it correctly, but I do know that they unfortunately have people, students that are in uh, Title I programs within the schools. But like I said, I do hope that they, uh, they use it properly, that, uh, and I'm, I'm going to assume that they do. I'm going to knock on wood for that because uh yeah if they don't use it f well and properly and they get audited that's going to be a big a big problem okay i think there's one more question coming in here let's see what that's about you know but it, i mean, like um you know for some people that are in the chat and may have some experience with this is this is this something similar to the homeschooling issue where um question from the chat is in and the question is I can't remember the name of the documentary am I familiar with a film that follows one person maybe more who leaves the Hasidic community and is underprepared educationally I am not but I know plenty of them <laughs> even if they haven't left the Hasidic community I know plenty of them um, and uh, so it is it is a um, it is a question it's a question how you know when you know how much religious education versus how much general education should we be, should they be getting and this is something that the new york state is still trying to figure out and apparently you know my cynicism kicks in when i see something like this from and that is there must be something happening in albany which is new york's capital um with regard to this otherwise they would not have posted this to try to create some outrage and or drama um but uh, yeah it's uh it, it it is it is you know people unfortunately are underprepared now i would also say that there are people that are underprepared in you know non-hasidic communities and in inner city areas or even outer city areas even in good good communities right um so <clears throat> well one of us one of us is probably the one that you're talking about um and there are two different films yes one of us is the one that i was thinking as well um so we will uh you know but it is you know <sighs> it's a problem no matter if they leave the hasidic community or if they don't leave the hasidic community is I, just kind of where i see it um it doesn't matter one way or another <clears throat> Uh, about that and so um it's and like i said i i think that there it's a shame i think that there needs you know i i don't have any real answers and i would just be espousing in and spouting off total stupidity if i say anything but i i, I think there's needs let's put it this way let's, let's put it this way i think that there needs to be more that's happening in these schools than is but I don't know if it needs to be as an ex as extreme as others feel uh, that it needs to be. I'll also take the point here that if you're not going to have, if you're going to have the you know x amount of time being dedicated to this, but the parental buy-in is going to be less than zero, then what good is that going to do? What good is that going to do? I don't think it will do any good if you're not going to have, you know, if you're just going to be forced to, um, if you're just going to be forced to go ahead and do these things and you're not having buy-in from anybody, from the, you know, from the, from the parent body, from the administration, but they're just being forced, 
is that going to be any better? So it's an interesting question. I don't know. I don't know the answers to it, um, and it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see how this develops, and um, I will, you know, try to, you know, keep a foot of this and see how this uh, how this breaks down. But I think with that, that is going to be the end of today's episode. Um, and it's, like I said, it, this episode is Education to Electric Boogaloo, uh, because I need to get an, ex- an Electric Boogaloo reference into the podcast titles at some point in time. I think that is something that is required by law. Um, I think that was a federal law that was passed. So, uh, therefore, we have done that. Yay me. And uh, thank you very much for listening. We will see you all in roughly two weeks when we've got a new topic. I am Aaron Benedict, and I am not a rabbi. Thank you.